I'm David Mosscrop. Welcome to Open to Debate, brought to you by Interact. Canada's political left is facing a series of choices. What kind of movement should it pursue in the face of contemporary challenges at home and around the world? How can left-wing parties win at the local, provincial, and federal orders of government? Should communists, socialists, and social democrats work together? And if so, when and how? Also, to what extent does the leading social democratic party in Canada, the NDP, serve as a vehicle for successful left politics? Answering these questions requires us to start by understanding what it even means to be left-wing. It requires us to trace the history of Canada's left, to look around the world, and to embrace the tensions, even contradictions, of contemporary left politics. It also requires us to ask, what is the future of Canada's left? My guest on this episode of Open to Debate is Christo Ivalis, historian, writer, left YouTuber, host of the podcast Left Turn Canada, and author of The Constant Liberal, Pierre Trudeau, Organized Labour, and the Canadian Social Democratic Left. Let's start by talking about what we mean when we talk about the left in Canada, because the label is imprecise. So I, I want to get a sense of how we characterize and sort the left in Canada from all the way from sort of center left, even center left sort of liberal, all the way on to communist. How, how do you make sense of the left in Canada? Well, I mean, it is one of those terms that like, like whether we're talking about middle class or, or what have you, that, that means a lot. And so therefore in some ways means nothing uh, without more specificity. And we'll talk a little bit about that. I think later with like terms like progressive, but like my definition of the left uh, at, at least as it's popularly understood, and then I can maybe give my own definition, is that it's anything except for the Conservative Party of Canada. That is the the popular understanding. And I think it generally applies to either uh, social or economic issues. So to be on the left is to believe in things like uh, gay marriage, to believe in a woman's right to choose, to believe in um climate change being real to believe in you know immigrants generally being a net positive to the country and then on more economic issues believing in things like the the you know medicare system uh your redistributive taxation uh certain labor reforms and things like that and to varying degrees you can find all of those views frankly even some of those views within the conservative party of canada but within many of the the voting bases, especially of the non-conservative parties. Um, but my own definition would exclude the Liberal Party of Canada in total from being under the left definition, because I really see them on the whole in their policies as center-right. And I would exclude much of the Green Party. Uh, and basically, in main federal electoral politics, only include the NDP on the left, and that being the very center center left uh, because there are very little representation of the left in Canada within mainstream political discourse, whether that's parliament, whether that's legislatures or whether that's media, because much of our quote unquote left wing news sources like the Toronto star aren't very much left to begin with. I mean, there are exceptions. Of course, there are left wing NDP MPs that are, that I would say are, are on the left and would be seen on the left in, in, in European contexts as well. 
Um, I would say that, for instance, you have uh, parties like Quebec Solidaire in, in Quebec that are that are left wing parties, uh, certainly to the left of the NDP. Certain provincial NDPs are more left leaning or less left leaning, depending on the the, the, the you know, the context of the provinces. But uh, my understanding is that within within mainstream electable parties, there's only one that could be called consistently on the left. Right. I want to I want to get into the question of the progressive progressivism and the word progressive in a second, but I want to chase down something you said first, which is you don't consider the green left. Now, I I, uh, I think like a lot of people have a tricky time placing the greens as a rule. And, you know, in part because they're sort of an idiosyncratic party, they're they're not broad based. I mean, they've got they've got decent support, you know, hovering around five, six percent here and there. But it's not as if they have a big caucus base where you can you generate a, a very clear central tendency. So I'm trying to, and they too vary provincially and federally as well. The BC Greens aren't the same as the federal Greens. But when you say you don't put the Greens on the left, is that in reference to the federal Greens, provincial Greens, the Green Movement in general? Why do you say that? Well, I would say the well, the Green Movement in general, talking in global terms, it very much depends, right? Because right. for instance, in a country like the United States, their Green Party, again, very marginal, very, very mm-hmm. marginal, uh, is likely in the U.S. context a left party, whereas in some countries the Green Party forms a sort of eco-conscious centrist party. Um, in Canada, I would say that they've generally embraced a sort of Yangian, you know, Andrew Yang, not left, not right, but forward, sort of uh, post post ideological ideology in a way the Liberal Party does, but they lean into it even harder in some ways. Um, some of their positions. I think lend themselves more to be more like the liberal party on a lot of issues. But to their credit, I will say that in the recent parliament, and maybe I was harder to judge on many of the, the motions that the NDP has put forward that have sort of been voted down by the broad conservative liberal block alliance, uh, talking about the, the recent vote yesterday on um, uh, d- removing profit from long-term care, uh, the recent vote on the wealth tax, uh, the recent vote on, I believe, taxing the the rich to pay for dental care or removing the planned tax cut for you know upper middle income people and shifting that to fund dental care for four or five million Canadians. The Greens have a, on most of those voted with the NDP against the Bloc Liberals and Conservatives, mm-hmm. and so I would suggest that you know their their ideology is somewhat fluid. And I mean, some of the parties have changed. I mean, the Bloc used to have maybe more of a social democratic edge, but they have seemed to become more I guess, fiscally moderate, given that they've, again, been voting against tax increases and voting against the expansion of basic health care and things like that in Canada. Let's let's now move on to the, to the word progressive. And we'll get to policy questions, strategy questions, deeper questions about the, the state of the left in a minute. But I really want to take the time first to understand what we're talking about, because it, it is complicated territory. We get we, we get the word progressive used all the time in reference to what seems to be the catch-all term left. Anyone who's not a conservative is, is a progressive. And it's different in the U.S. and it's different in Canada. I, I frankly don't see the use of the word anymore because I think it's become so amorphous as to lose all meaning. But I'm, can, can we save the word progressive? Does it mean something meaningful? Is there a use for it? I mean, look, I still use it reflexively, even though I, I maybe don't, I, I mean, I maybe agree with you that 
it, it, it again, like middle class, it means too much. Mm-hmm. I mean, the progressive conservatives call themselves progressives right? and, and they still exist in many of the provinces. Doug Ford's party is the only party with the word progressive in the name. There's, they're not the progressive Democrats, the progressive liberals and the progressive greens. There's the progressive conservative. And that's the same in the, in most of the maritime provinces and even in Pallister's, uh, you know, Manitoba, the they, they retain that that PC label, um, you know, from the before the the remerger with the, uh, the, the you know, the, the the reform alliance kind of in back in the early 2000s. Um, so the term is very nebulous in Canada. I mean. I think it's helpful in some ways, in a Canadian way, to maybe understand the broad non-conservative voting bloc. Because while I would argue the Liberal Party is very much a center-right party and the NDP is a center-left party and the Greens are eclectic and likely between those two, um, the reality is when you ask Liberal, NDP, and Green voters what they think, there is generally broad agreement on many issues. The NDP might be more stridently on the left. Like, so on a wealth tax, there's more support from NDPers than from the liberals. Uh, but the liberals still have, you know, 80 plus 85% support for a wealth mm-hmm. tax. You know, the greens similar, I believe in the seventies somewhere, again, smaller party, the polling might not be as accurate. Um, so the broad non-conservative electorate might have a general understanding of progressive values. But I, I mean, I don't know if the term is helpful because I, I think the, the 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 use of it is to maybe be a counter to conservative, a very broad counter. There are progressives and conservatives, but it, it, it does seem to mean anything from neoliberal, frankly, to uh, any sort of, you know, what what some people might call far left ideology. Uh, and I think that perhaps it's sort of lost some of its use. So, for instance, maybe more people need to engage with terms like social demo- social democracy or uh, social democrats or democratic socialists or socialists or, um, you know, referring to a specific tendency like I'm a Marxist Leninist mm-hmm. or I identify myself as a progressive or, or a or a neoliberal or I identify myself as a social liberal. Uh, these terms have more specificity, but I think that there's a temptation uh, to create a block that's big because if you're a party, you want to capture that group. And when someone like Justin Trudeau says progressive, it can mean most of those things. And similarly, I think the temptation in the NDP is rather than use the S word, which one I think some people are reflexively afraid of. But also, rather than try to demarcate between democratic socialists and socialists and progressive liberals and Marxist-Leninists and all these sorts of people who may, for a variety of reasons, vote NDP, we're just going to call our people progressive. It's also a term that I think is connotatively positive. Mm -hmm. Most people would like to see themselves as embracing progress, however they define it. It's kind of an easy term to embrace personally for a lot of people. Yeah, and it, it makes me think that when we're getting into policy debates and distinctions, we ought to be thinking more along the lines of hard uh, divisions, like uh, who ought to control the means of production, for instance. Uh, yeah, and, and 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 return the word socialist, which 
I, I think the, the meaning of which is uh, becoming a little bit better understood, but it also isn't quite as frightening as, as it previously was. I remember doing some work on, on the U.S. context and seeing data that suggested that the younger generations didn't associate socialism with the, the Soviet Union, for instance, anymore. They just didn't have the same connotations uh, as it did in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and even into the 90s. And there's a sort of new conception. And if we perhaps return to that word, we can make a more clear distinction, you know, because it's, you wouldn't call the liberals socialists. <laughs> you might yeah. not even call the NDP socialists in some cases. Yeah. May, well, many wouldn't, right? Right. Yeah, they wouldn't. Anymore. No, no, well, yeah, well, some, well, some would, and some yeah. wouldn't under particular context, depending on the. Yeah, and you're right, a hundred percent. And I mean, even the definition of socialism is not always clear. Mm-hmm. Many will attest that the definition of socialism encompasses the workers' ownership of the means of production and only that, whereas others might reasonably say the workers' ownership is a part of socialism, but not the only prerequisite. Uh, for instance, when people will, uh, I, I personally think that when people suggest that the workers' ownership of the means of production is the is the 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 core defining definition of socialism, I I still think a socialist society, in addition to the democratic ownership of the means of production, needs to include a universal guarantee of human rights, right, and yes. and, and basic material needs, and it must include, and this is where other tendencies would disagree, the democratic as in state, be it local, regional, or national ownership of certain industries, which are too essential to be owned by one subset of workers who would give them disproportionate power over their fellow workers, meaning individual factories could be worker-owned, the banking system, not necessarily, the telecommunication system, not necessarily. And so even within that, Whereas you have someone like Bernie Sanders, who I have a deep admiration and respect for, has largely defined socialism as the universal guarantee of a sort of social democratic welfare state with some smaller elements of worker representation through corporations and an emphasis on trade unionism as his definition of socialism, which does not explicitly include, say, a 1970s style Ed Broadbent, David mm-hmm. Lewis, Tommy Douglas emphasis on uh, the Canadian people through the state and through workers uh, committees and whatnot owning the economy, right? So this I, this ha- happens to take us somewhere I, where I wanted to go into a substantive discussion of what new Democrat policy and what we sort of think of as as left center left policy ought to look like in Canada. Uh, you know, I'm a market socialist. I happen to share your understanding and, and conception of the of the idea. I, I'm a market socialist because I'm a pluralist in part. I think that I want the sort of distribution of control to be uh, broad in a society. So I want national ownership, but I also want worker controlled ownership. I want those things to counterbalance one another mm-hmm. within a rights framework. Uh, you know, the NDP federally, we're watching a sort of evolution from the era that you mentioned, the 70s era, 80s era, into a sort of period in the wilderness in the 90s and, and then a sort of transformation in the 2000s to something that I think we're still trying to understand. So if we look at the recent NDP, the 2019 platform, as well as some recent stances on canceling student debt, uh, on long-term care, on uh, pharmacare, how do we make sense of that, of the current iteration of the NDP and uh, where do we where do we place them on the left spectrum? I would say there's a there's a 
desire in the party to move leftward, even from the party establishment, but a real tentativeness about it. Because as you note, back in, and, and I've written about this in my, in my historical writing, mm-hmm. uh, uh, my, my, my PhD dissertation in my, in my first book was on Pierre Trudeau and his relationship with the left and the NDP. So, you know, a lot of the times in the 1970s, you really get a sense for as left-wing as Trudeau was seen compared to Ed Broadbent and what he was suggesting, you know, as, you know, the third party leader at the time through much of the 1970s and early 1980s during Trudeau's latter tenure. Um, it was, in a sense, very much a socialist call. Looking at Yugoslavia, looking at other, uh, you know, uh, non-capitalist societies for inspiration, not just Sweden and West Germany. They certainly were looking at, you know, social democratic societies in Europe, but they were also looking at Yugoslavia in some cases for potential sources of inspiration. Um And then with the rise of neoliberalism, the NDP is sort of dragged into that. The federal party uh, nearly disappears and the provincial parties, which actually find some decent success in the 90s, whether it's Ontario or British Columbia or other provinces, uh, tend to, if not as much as liberals or conservatives, still embrace the prevailing ideology of the era. And even into the Jack Layton years, you see NDP platforms upon which the biggest promises are like capping ATM fees. Mm-hmm. Like that was Layton's opening salvo in the 2011 election. And people forget this because Layton passed away and he became this, this tragic and heroic figure and for, in many ways for good reason. But um, when he uh, opened that, that historic 2011 campaign, I remember he was talking about like credit card fees and ATM fees, just stuff that, yeah, like you could see a, a left-leaning government passing and, It'll help Canadians, and that's good. But is that really the visionary, bold policy you want from a social democratic party? Uh, And the answer is no, right? The Mm -hmm. answer is no. (laughs) Um, And I would say that in many ways, Singh and even Horwath in relation to her own campaigns from earlier in the decade, um, many of these NDP um, platforms have become far more bold than anything we've seen since the Cold War but they're still not embracing the full potential of like social democratic theory. And they're not embracing the extent to which the actual party base. And I would suggest a significant portion of the electorate, maybe enough to win an election, but certainly enough for the federal party to increase its, its vote share, um, you know, want. So for instance, as you note, the NDP promised pharmacare. It's a good promise. They promised something approaching a, a means-tested but still substantive dental care program that would cover about 5 million Canadians, which is a significant portion of the population who can't see a dentist. Um, But on some things, for instance, the party base supported unanimously at a recent convention the abolition of post-secondary fees, the abolition of them, not not interest-free, not capped, Mm -hmm. not, you know, reduced, abolished universal, unanimous, every single damn person in the room voted for that policy, or at least no one opposed it. And then the party in 2019 comes out with what is in effect a a freeze on the federal portion of student loans. And even in this recent release by Jagmeet and and the party, uh, the uh, call was for a sort of $20,000 reduction in fees after five years 
if as a household, you earn less than $60,000. And so these are undeniably more progressive platforms than under the Leighton Mulcair years. Mm-hmm. The NDP is, is to the left of where it was 30 years ago, probably even, or at least 25. But that's not necessarily enough to face the crises that, that plague Canada and the world. And I think that's what a lot of people feel right now. It's good that Jugmeet is running on Pharmacare for All. It's good that he is, you know, uh, pushing for uh, a wealth tax. But is a 1% wealth tax sufficient? Is is dental care means tested sufficient? And these are where these debates come from. I wonder, I'm trying to think about, you know, the, the 90s a little bit to the sort of Audrey McLaughlin, Alexa McDonough era. And, and trying to chart the development of the NDP post-broadband. And I wonder to what extent the NDP is recovering from the strength of the Liberal Party and the disunity of the right in the 90s that really seemed to hobble it. You know, because you have a, have a fragmented right in the 90s, late 80s, throughout the 90s. You have an ascendant Liberal Party. And the, the NDP gets just utterly marginalized, in the, uh, the, especially during the Alexa McDonough years. I mean, what do you do about that? And I'm, but now it seems that the, the party enjoys a bit of an advantage where the right and, and the center is competitive again, and they can really distinguish themselves. Uh, I wonder to what extent that's an advantage or what extent the, they're trying to use this moment to capture liberal space rather than define left space. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the, one of the things the party, and I think this is where there's a tension, is... Uh, they 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 sometimes forget just how popular left wing policy is. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, like th- after the 2019 election, David Coletto and Abacus did a, a series of polls. Once it became clear that if they wished, the Liberals and the NDP could form a governing coalition. That you add their two seats together, they would be well over 170. They would be basically in the 180s in seats and could form a, a productive four or five year coalition. Um, and they asked Canadians in general, but also split it up by the major parties, you know, which policies would you support? And what they found was that the things Singh ran on, they didn't say these were the NDP's promises, but they said, Pharmacare, the dental care program, a 1% wealth tax, uh, proportional representation. All of these things were popular. Many of them in the 70-80% range. And some of them, when asking liberal voters in particular, um, you know, in the 80s or 90s, you know, supported these things. And so I think that the sometimes uh, the NDP fails to understand that why people like them and to the extent they do is because they are perceived as a left-wing party. It mm-hmm. might be the reason why many people hate them, but there's you're, you're not going to change that. And I've brought this up before in other things I've done where, you know, I'm reluctant to praise Pete Buttigieg, but, um, you know, back during the, the, the Democratic primary, he, he said the Republicans are going to call any Democrat a socialist, Right. They're going to call Joe Biden a socialist if he ends up being the nominee. And they did. 
Uh, and so the point is you need to be confident in who you are and just kind of own it. And I've sort of suggested that uh, no matter how moderate the NDP will portray itself, the National Post, the Globe and Mail, they will all call, you know, the, the socialist spendthrift NDP, you know, an unreasonable party. And so I think they definitely need to lean into uh, this image of the left while still understanding that they have already the policy set to win over liberal and green, and in some cases, conservative voters. Because again, when the NDP proposed a wealth tax, the, the, the wealth tax as per Jagmeet's specifications, 1% of all wealth held by individuals above 20 million annually, that enjoyed super majority support, including well over 60% of conservatives. And so I think the party needs to lean into like, especially on these like economic issues. Uh, you know, we are here fighting against gross inequality and the rigged game. Uh, and you can do that um, without necessarily having to go absolutely totally inaccessible in your rhetoric. And I think that's somewhere that's important. But I think that requires you to be a little bit bolder in your prescriptions and not simply just say, look, we're going to, I guess, cap cell phone prices at, you know, this much so that if you have a bill, you save $120 a year. It's like, no, like Rogers is a vile vampire leeching off the Canadian people. Mm -hmm. And we're going to nationalize the, 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 the B word. And like, that's going to be that. And I think that, you know, a surprising amount of Canadians, I bet, would respond positively. And I bet you some of those people would even be conservatives. And I think the party needs to realize that. And I think that there's a certain sense that there, there, certainly there are, there, there are neoliberal types in the NDP who don't want this sort of progress, but I think they're actually a, a small minority. I think a lot of people are shell-shocked by the 90s. And mm -hmm. some of those folks are still around and they legitimately don't know how left-wing Canadians really are. And this is a thing in the US as well, where when you ask Republicans and Democrats, both of them overestimate how conservative the people are. Republicans think people are more right wing than they are, but so do Democrats. When you actually look at the data, people are more progressive than, than most politicians think they are. And I think the prevailing wisdom in the party is if we go too left, we're going to lose or the media is going to gobble us up. But it's like the media already you know, uh, made it an international controversy when Nikki Ashton interviewed Jeremy Corbyn. Like the party will never get treated fairly by the media. And so you just got to roll with the punches. I also think, uh, you know, at, the, at a fundamental level, I'd briefly forgotten, if you can imagine the telecom thing, it was mm -hmm. so absurd that, that the release was so weak on it after the, the uh, Rogers uh, Shaw merger proposal came up that um, we really don't need another party arguing about where to cap the the, uh, the the means test, right? I mean, we've got that already. That discourse is ensconced in the liberals. We don't really need that same thing from the NDP. But not I mean, only... I, I might push back a little bit on that. Yeah, sure. In that we don't get that from the liberals, right? That's the thing. That's one of the challenges is that um, the liberal party doesn't actually deliver on much of what it says. I mean, hypothetically... 
And, and this is not what I want from the NDP. But if all the NDP was, was a liberal party that kept its promise to its own voters, they would still be vastly better than the current iteration. Imagine a liberal party that actually did address climate change meaningfully and did end first past the post and did, you know, meaningfully treat refugees correctly instead of suggesting that Donald Trump's America was safe for them. I mean, that's one of the challenges. I mean, it, 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 you might say that your know, Canada doesn't even really have a genuine progressive liberal party. And I think that this is a discourse that Canadian liberals might have to face up to is that you're seeing an American president that in many ways is bolder than Justin Trudeau. And he's a 78 year old white guy named Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. And um, this is something that I, I, I think we are probably going to talk a little bit more about is it's not just that the liberals are too centrist. It's that they pretend to be center left, but are really a center right party. And I, I don't know if Canadians either realize that or if they feel that they're in some sort of uh, hostage situation by virtue of first past the post and these sorts well, of Well, I think that's part of it. The first yeah. past the post issue is a huge part of it. I think a huge part of the reason why we didn't get electoral reform is that uh, you know there was no chance that alternative uh, vote was going to, to be palatable to people, and it was PR that would be, and there was no way the liberals were going to pursue that. The evidence-based party rejected the, yeah. Yeah, exactly. the evidence-based party rejected the evidence of 90% of... Of, of experts that including myself including yourself I, yes <laughs> yes <laughs> which you know no offense taken but you know it's funny is i remember being at, at the electoral reform committee and saying to the greens and the ndp that you really need to commit the government to a process for instance a referendum if we must or at least or a citizens assembly ideally because if not they're just going to completely roll you and take your lunch on this and i was mm. assured that that was not uh, the case and then of course that's exactly what happened. But, uh, you know, the liberals, it's funny because the liberals, uh, you know, also internally have a lot of diversity. Uh, I think they're a centrist party, center right, mostly center left, uh, center left on a few things. Mm -hmm. the, the party base itself is often though more progressive than the party. I mean, I yes. think about them pushing for pharmacare, them pushing for the decriminalization of, of drugs, uh, them pushing for electoral reform, for pushing for lots of things that, yes. that later get ignored. And uh, so you, you know you see that same challenge. Of course, on the conservative party, it's a different case. Uh, that the party base is often quite uh, frightening. Well, I mean, the the the, the liberal party uh, going into history. I mean, it was during the early years of Pierre Trudeau Senior, where the liberal party base basically. I don't know if it was all drugs, but certainly they called for the decriminalization and legalization of cannabis. Right back in the the late sixties, early seventies, and that was that was party policy, which was of course promptly. Uh, shuttled aside by the by the, the 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 party itself, but yeah, that is a, a broad historical trend, and I think that goes again to one of the 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 the, the points of Canadian politics is that um, the 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 party bases are sometimes different than the electorates, mm -hmm. but the 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 people who vote Liberal, NDP, and Green again by and large have similar points of view, right? Like, if you look at the polling, um, support for a universal pharmacare system, I'm guessing would be slightly higher among New Democrats than liberals, but not astoundingly so, right? And it, it really does show that there's an opportunity for these people to be reached by a left-leaning party, but uh, it's a mix, it's how you do it. Uh, and, and I think that you're right in saying that uh, 
one of the things the NDP could do to reach these people is, is not only be you know loud and proud about these policies and not timid about them and tentative about them, but also just to, in a more, in a more broad sense, stand out, right? Well, and because people can be led. I mean, I think one of the challenges, and this is a big challenge for the left, is we have a, this idea of the median voter in Canada mm-hmm. as a sort of, quote unquote, fiscally conservative, socially liberal. It's just the most irritating mm-hmm. uh, phrase, but we hear it all the time because we have this myth, mythological median voter who is fiscally conservative, uh, socially liberal, and everyone's fighting for that sort of middle as they pick off the the ridings they need to pick off to form a majority government with 39.5% of a 65% turnout. And so that's that's the math. And, and we don't even talk about the idea that people can be led, they can be persuaded, they can change their mind. We saw it happen on same-sex marriage in the early 2000s, where if you look at the data now compared to 25 years ago, it's like you're living on two different planets. People now have completely transformed on them. They were led mm-hmm. on that. And you can lead on other issues too. I mean, to the to the credit of the liberals, they led on the carbon tax. I think it's a, it's inadequate. Uh, I support it, but it's it's inadequate. Mm-hmm. But they led on that to their credit. They went and stumped for it and they fought for it. The NDP could fight for things and persuade voters and bring folks along. I, I'm just wondering to what extent they're prepared to do that. Yeah, and I mean that's one of the historical victories of the party is that the NDP, going all the way back to the days of the CCF, has often played that role. They, they haven't always reaped the benefits electorally, but at a time where the liberals and conservatives would attack the CCF for wanting to give, quote-unquote, you know, oriental peoples uh, the right to vote, uh, uh, you know, they were standing for the basic civil rights of Chinese and Japanese Canadians. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, n- no reasonable party, not even Maxime Bernier's People's Party, would necessarily suggest the whole th- wholesale disenfranchisement of Asian Canadians, right? But that was mainstream liberal conservative policy for much of Canadian history. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whether it's healthcare, whether it's social uh, social rights, whether it's civil liberties, uh, the CCF NDP is often led on these things with the liberals and in many cases, and in some cases, the conservatives eventually following along. And so you're right in noting that people can be led. People and institutions, other parties can be led on these. But again, it's like some of these things that people don't need to be led because they're already there. Again, like not to harp, the wealth tax has 79% support in Canada. 79% support. It's and a majority, well over 50% conservatives, with only about a third of conservatives actively opposing a wealth tax. Right. So, on some of these issues, it really is a matter of not even just leading, but like letting people know what you stand for and that you're going to make it a priority. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, that's a matter too. Right. Like, there are, there are strong left wing policies that enjoy super majority support in this country. And I get like the point being that. The nature of first past the post means that the liberals and conservatives sort of gobble up almost as a default, a minimum of, say, two thirds of the electorate. And that the nature of those two parties is that they meet in the 905 to determine most elections. And maybe the median 905 suburban voter maybe does slightly more accurately fit some of these definitions of of centrism. I don't know if that's true or not, but like the reality is the the median Canadian is already a social Democrat. 
they might not call themselves that, but the median Canadian is already a social Democrat. Thinking about that. Yeah, that, uh, that, that bears a little more digging, but I, that, that seems intuitively correct to me insofar as, as the, the support for things like universal pharmacare, universal healthcare. Uh, what about nationalization? I, I haven't seen the latest data on folks supporting nationalization. Obviously, that's, that's sort of slightly beyond social democracy and into socialism. But have you seen any recent data on support for nationalization of, for instance, broadband, anything like that? I haven't necessarily uh, seen that necess- uh, in terms of uh, a lot of these things, but there are some elements of it. So going back to some of the polling after the election where they asked people, uh, the, the wealth tax enjoyed 77% support, universal pharmacare. Um, uh, what would be the, the elements of a Green New Deal enjoyed about 64% support? The NDP plan to build a half a million affordable housing units uh, enjoys 72% support. Um, I think part of the challenge here is that the, the NDP needs to do more to offer those policies before maybe that they'll get consistently pulled on. I don't know if there's been polling on nationalization. I know that the NDP's plan of reducing cell phone bills in the last election was popular uh, and I don't think it would be unpopular, but it was that it was insufficient. I mean, it enjoyed 81% support, the NDP's plan to reduce the cost of cell phone bills through price caps. Uh, I assume that nationalization would be less popular than that. But the reality are, is a couple things is that one, um, you know, you don't need something to be 80% popular to be politically viable. Mm-hmm. And that in many ways, uh, and maybe this, been, this is something the conservatives can get away with a lot more than others. The nature of the first past the post system is you can achieve power with only about a third of the people really liking you to, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And I think that that's something that the NDP could use to his advantage and say, look, if our goal is to form government immediately, we might want to adopt these things. But if the goal is to build a robust left-wing movement that could capture and energize 25% of the electorate, I think that you can do that through what they've already been doing, plus bold policy that will drive excitement among key groups like young people and the left. But yeah, but in terms of polling on nationalization, I'm not sure, right? I definitely think that you, you you're seeing among younger Canadians a greater skepticism around capitalism and mm-hmm. a greater uh, interest in socialism. And I've seen some polling that make those ideologies sort of equally popular and unpopular in Canada. So I think that there's a growing, I guess, openness to question capitalism and public ownership would be one of the ways of doing that. But I don't know if because the NDP has not run on significant nationalization outside of the creation of like, you know, pharmacare and things like that. I don't know uh, where the average Canadian necessarily stands on those issues. Yeah, I, I haven't seen anything, although now I sort of want to follow up. Perhaps, I, I, you know, I, I keep thinking that I should adopt show notes for this podcast. Every <laughs> podcast has show notes and I don't. Uh, I probably should. And then I could put things in the show notes. That's an idea I'm sort of marking off. Okay, so I want to close out in the last uh, several minutes that we have on looking ahead to the the coming federal election, whenever that may be. I try not to do too much election prognostication because what's the point? But we do have one coming. 
and presumably by the end of 2021, we'll have had an election. Uh, if that's the case, what do you see in the uh, NDP's electoral future? What do you what do we expect to see from them in terms of a platform, and how do you think they'll fare? Um, well, I mean, if you look at the the polling aggregates right now, the NDP is polling better than they were sort of in the run up to the twenty. Uh, 19 election. If you look, the, the NDP in, in, in many polls going into the 2019 election was polling closer to 10 than they are to 20. Uh, and now, uh, according to the, the CBC aggregate, just as one example, they are polling at about 18 and a half, which is significantly higher than where they were polling for much of, of 2019. Mm-hmm. So the party in terms of polling is in a decent place. And given that, um, you know, the liberals, although in some polls seem to be pulling away from the conservatives, have not built a, a consistently large lead over them. They're the likelihood of a minority, I think, is still there, which is important. I think that uh, for the left in Canada, obviously, you know, the worst uh, the worst option is a majority government of either liberals or conservatives, where, uh, you know, for five years you're locked into uh, neoliberal austerity, and then perhaps the addition of certain social conservative policies, depending on which of the two parties lead. Um, so right now, uh, the party's in a decent polling position, certainly probably anywhere they've been this far out from an election in, in quite a while since, you know, going back to, uh, you know, the Mulcair years in, in, you know, 2014, 2015. Um, the party's finances are better than they have been. Uh, and uh, they have wiped the party's debt, which is something that was uh, a, a, an issue during the last campaign, which uh, likely won't be this time. And I think that they are definitely going to lean into many of the policies they ran in in 2019, which is good to see. Now, the question is going to be, will they listen to the base on some of the things that they've already been talking about and maybe go back to the drawing board a little bit. Because I think, for instance, that the student loan policy, as it's currently constructed, uh, is not only insufficient, but it's deeply complicated and will piss people off, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Like like this idea that you're going to forgive student loans, but only in this narrow window and only after five years, the, the, the anti-student loan forgiveness people are still going to call you uh, socialist, uh, sp- you know, uh, spendthrifts and all these sorts of things, but um, you're not actually going to energize very many people on a contingent $20,000 cancellation. So I would say the party needs to scrap that. Maybe it doesn't need to be full student loan cancellation, but it does need to be something along the lines of, you know, we're going to cancel everyone's student debt up to 20K, day one of an NDP government, done. E- easy, simple. Everyone knows if they benefit or they don't done, right? Um, They need to, I think, go back to the drawing board on telecoms. I've heard some discussions from the party that they're maybe going to uh, address that a little bit more. I think that there are the roots for a really good platform, but the question is going to be, again, uh, can the party break through on some strategic voting narratives? And two, um, can they convince uh, voters that they are uh, can they energize the party base? And I think three, uh, you know, can Justin Trudeau credibly again this time sell himself as a progressive? Because if he loses the ability to do that, that gives a lot more credence to the NDP. And that's something that 
the NDP can certainly control through criticism of Trudeau, but it also depends on where the voters are in terms of their their assessment of him. Yeah, I mean, on on a very quick last point, because we're running to time, there's an opportunity here to to adopt proper left uh, socialist policy in the wake of of the pandemic and as part of a pandemic recovery and looking ahead to dealing with climate change through a Green New Deal or its equivalent, right? Like, I mean, I think Mm -hmm. we're going to be primed to be talking about big structural change issues. And this seems like an awfully good time to have a coherent, aggressive left vision of that structural change that accounts for not just pandemic recovery, but also dealing with climate change, which is a looming existential threat that we've sort of not been paying a ton of attention to the last year because we've been processing the pandemic, but it's only gotten worse. So, I mean, do you think there's a, there is a likelihood that the party will seize on that and make a play for it? Or are they going to sort of try to to grab that liberal territory? Well, again, I think one, one of the things is that whether we're talking liberal territory on policy, I don't think the NDP is necessarily going in that direction. I think they are going to make a leftward move, but I'm not necessarily convinced it's going to be sufficient. As you note, COVID-19 has exposed the existing challenges of our society on everything from climate to racism, to poverty, to inequality, uh, to the lack of universal social benefits like dental care and pharmacare, which for millions of Canadians are tied to the jobs that many of them lost. But the reality is that you know, are they going to push hard enough? I'm not sure. One indication is that Singh has, uh, from time to time, in a way other political leaders haven't, is asserted that it is not merely enough to uh, restore Canada to normal, but rather to, out of this, the ashes of this, build a better Canada. Um, And I do think that the opportunity is there. Uh, Will there be a significant push on a Green New Deal? I'm not sure. But I, I expect a bolder platform than 2019, but I am unconvinced if it'll be bold enough to to really say offer a truly transformative vision of the country, even as they offer a distinct vision from the liberals. Uh, I don't know if it'll be transformative as as I think the the potential pitfall there. And I, I'm I I hasten to add that as we were talking about the sort of what the pandemic's laid bare, it's it's also deeply laid bare the the not just the sort of racialized and class based, but and the gendered mm-hmm. uh, distinction or the stratification of of challenges within this pandemic. Which yes. you know, I suspect that the left needs to um, talk about more. I mean, we talk about it a lot, but it, it it is this sort of like we're all in this together narrative needs to be. Uh, torn down and replaced yeah. by the the reality that uh, we're not all in this together, <laughs> not even close, yeah. right? Yes, uh, no, hundred percent. Well, I have to say that this has been such a fascinating, stimulating conversation, and, and we could touch on so much more, but we've run to time. So I want to start very much by thanking you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. And uh, I'll mention that um, your book. Can you can you give a plug for your book? Yeah, uh, there's yeah. It, you can check out my book. It's the the constant liberal, uh, Pierre Trudeau, uh, Labour and the Social Democratic Left through UBC Press. You can find it on their website and through other book buyers. Hell of a school. Also check out my uh, podcast. I have a new Canadian politics podcast, uh, Left Turn Canada, where we talk about many of these issues. Uh, our most recent episode that dropped last week, we talked about the need to nationalize the telecommunications. 
Uh, and I also have a, a YouTube politics channel where I mostly talk about American politics. If you just search my name, you'll be sure to find it. And so fantastic. Well, well thanks once more again, uh, Christo. And as always, thanks to uh, my producer, Mira Ahmad, who makes this show possible and makes it so much better. And to Aaron Reynolds, who has edited out so many things in this episode that I've said that you'll never hear all the good bits, <laughs> including what video games I play and what mistakes I've made and what I regret from my life and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, thanks as always to everyone who makes this possible, but especially, of course, the listeners who join us every couple of weeks to hear us talk about the issues of the day. Thanks so much. And we'll see you back here again before too long.